This is Devin Miller again, and uh, welcome back to another episode of The Inventive Journey. Um, for those of you that are just uh, joining or this is the first time uh, watching or listening, um, The Inventive Journey is a uh, podcast that uh, Miller IP Law puts on that uh, we, we learn about different inventive journeys or different journeys that entrepreneurs and startups have taken, kind of what their experience is, and gives you the kind of the, the highs and the lows and what, or what they encountered and uh, gives you a, a better insight into the, what uh, real startups and, and small businesses face and kind of how they got there and, and what they experienced. So today we have on here uh, Spencer Barclay. He'll uh, give you a little bit more uh, insight and background and kind of what, uh, what he's been up to and where he's at. Um, so maybe with that, rather than, get, or do an in, or rather than introduce you, you can introduce yourself better than anybody else. Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, kind of what you've been up to and, and where you're at. Great. Yeah, happy to. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so my name is Spencer Barkley, and I run a small business called Saveology. We are a free online financial planning platform. We built it to democratize financial planning and make it available for as many Americans as possible. We launched in October of 2019, even though we had been working on it for a few months prior to that. So we're still relatively new. Uh, my background is I've kind of been a serial entrepreneur for the past several years. I had sold a company uh, called Benefit Guard, a small business 401k startup. Health Equity, I stayed on with them for about 18 months before deciding to come back out on my own and do something that could really impact the day-to-day -day lives of Americans. So kind of jumping off of that, and that's a great intro, again, better than I'd ever give, uh, give myself. Um, so you're, you're at uh, Saveology now. And uh, that provides uh, people with some financial planning and other and budgeting and other tools that uh, make their ability to manage money better. Um, but what kind of led you? So you, you mentioned that you had your previous business, you'd uh, been acquired and, and stayed on for a period of time. And what made you land on this idea? Or how did you come up with this idea that, uh, that turned into your next startup? Yeah, uh, I, I knew that I wanted my next venture to be involved in the day-to-day -day finances of Americans and hopefully to improve finances, particularly for millennials, but it did take a while to figure out exactly what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. So with some of my previous startup ventures, I dealt with different levels and layers of personal finance, everything from credit to investing and estate planning and retirement planning. And over and over again, I saw the same problem, which was that millennials need help with their personal finances. It really shocked me how bad so many of us are with our finances. And I can say that, I believe, because I am a millennial. Uh, but we need all the help that we can get. And, and so when I started thinking about how I can help this, I had a lot of different ideas for what I could do. Um, but the market kind of pushed me in a different direction. So I met with dozens of people one-on-one -on -one to talk about their personal finances. And I also did market research where I surveyed thousands of people and, and that started directing me towards what we're doing now. So we, we found one really meaningful statistic, which was that households with financial plans were two and a half times more likely to save enough for retirement. And, and I think that traditional financial planning can be effective, but it's so inaccessible to many people that we sought out to find a way to make it accessible. And in, in my opinion, the best way to do that was to make it free. So it took us a few months to solve how we could do that and still run a profitable business. Uh, but that's what brought us to where we're at today. Oh, cool. Sounds like a good journey. So diving into that a bit deeper, um, so we kind of walked through. So you, you had the idea that, hey, 
particularly millennials, anybody can really benefit, but particular millennials are bad at managing money. A lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck and, you know, live, are living uh, without very little savings, if any, and uh, trying to manage their money as well as student loans and paying those off and having a lot of, a uh, lot of different things to juggle. What made you decide to, to take the path? So you, you had the idea, hey, I'd like to help millennials do budgeting, have that. Where did you, how did you initially come up with the actual or the, the kind of the core of the idea? Or where did that where did that come from? Was it with market research? Wake up one night in the, or in the middle of the night and or had the lightning strike and you, that was the idea? You've worked with uh, teammates or kind of how did you come up with that initial core idea or that initial kind of uh, conception that then you started to develop? Yes, yeah, so the idea that I woke up with was very different from the one that we actually started pursuing. So one morning, this was very end of 2018, I knew I wanted to go back out on my own to do something again. and was figuring out which business idea I wanted to use. And I had come up with the concept that we could use something like micro savings to help people set goals and attain goals by saving small amounts for each of their goals. And then we could do the com complicated optimizing the taxation for them. So if you wanted to, you know, save for your kid's retirement, you just know you're saving a couple bucks a week. We put it in to an optimized 529 for you. And we could do the same with an HSA and an IRA. And I thought that that would be a great solution to help millennial finances. And so I started pursuing that idea, right? Trying to validate it. Mm. And I had a lot of good feedback from a lot of people, but I found two things. One, I found that it was going to be more difficult to build than I would have wanted. And two, I found that it still wasn't addressing the root cause of the problem. And so after probably about two months of putting in work of building my business plan and determining the business model and getting user feedback, that's when I started saying, hey, I need to find something else to solve the same problem in a different way. And that's where we started to get research. So we did uh, about two dozen one-on-one -on -one interviews where I talked to people between the ages of 25 and 45 about their finances and things that they felt like were impacting them, what they really wanted to get out of it. And, uh, and then I did surveys as well to get a broader sample. And we found people wanted to be told how to get started and how to prioritize. And our existing solution wasn't doing either of those. And so we, we decided to make the pivot before even getting off the ground so that we could really meet the needs of the market in a better way. Huh, well, that's interesting. So how did, when you, when you did that, cause I mean, it, you always kind of with the, the entrepreneur dilemma or the, the startup dilemma is you have a great idea, you start to get into it and you start to a little bit, you know, drink your own Kool-Aid or buy into your own story in the sense that you, you become a little bit attached to it, right? It's a great idea. I've had it. I, I think it will be, do great. And then you get in there and you're saying, okay, maybe I need to pivot or I need to change or adjust. And so how do you, how did you make, come to the determination? Was it simply just going out, talking with the market saying, Hey, this isn't what it works. Was it too, you know, more difficult or time consuming or what was kind of the, the catalyst for saying, okay, I, I still like the core idea, but I need to change how I'm approaching it to make it, to make it work. Yeah, I, I should start by saying that it was painful. It wasn't an easy choice to be made, right? Even though I had only put in two months of work into figuring it out, and I had written maybe a 50-page business plan, which was far too much if I went back mm. and do that again. But the, the catalyst was I met with someone that challenged my perception. And, and that was good because I had, I had dozens of friends, family members, and sometimes you have to know that they just tell you what you want to hear, right? They're supportive. They're nice. 
They, they love your idea no matter what it was. Mm. And I probably got too much of that up front, which is why I kept going with it and not enough big pushback. And so one person that I met with that was a potential investor, he, he challenged and pushed back a little bit on some things, not necessarily in a negative way, but in a way that at least got me thinking about it in a new light. And that's what he didn't tell me it wasn't going to work out. He just asked me some questions about, are we addressing the core problem or are we just putting a bandaid on it? You know, what, what group are we helping and how many people are we helping? Mm. And those few questions are what took me back to the drawing board a little bit mm. more. Yeah, I, and I'm in agreement. I've, I said, if you're, maybe you're different, but if you're the typical entrepreneur or startup person, you'll have 10 great ideas. And by the afternoon, nine or 10 of those are all knocked out. You have to start back at the drawing board. And I always yeah. figured that I always have kind of two rules. One is if I have an idea that I think will be good or that will work, I, I put it, I, I write it down, I'll put it on the shelf for a week and come back to it and see if I still think it's a great idea. Most of the time, a week later, it's not a great idea, but every once in a while, I'll still say, okay, no, I'm still excited about it, it's a great idea. The other thing that I always say is that, um, that if I, I'm gonna go ask strangers for money, so before you start to go sell it, before you, know, before you start to fundraise it or get it going, is say, okay, because you're right, friends and family, they love you, they're, they're close enough, they're always gonna tell you that you, you have a great idea, or the least they won't tell you it's a bad idea because they don't wanna hurt your feelings. But if you go ask a stranger for money, they're going to be fairly blunt and say, nope, I'm not going to pay for that. I'm not going to spend my hard-earned cash. So it's always kind of that outside perspective of this is, you know, what, why I wouldn't pay for it or this is what I don't see as the issue that you're solving. You always get a much better idea from strangers than you do friends or family. But even if you ask friends or family, if you start asking it for money, you get a much different response than if you just ask if it's a great idea. Yep. So maybe shifting gears or kind of following along some of the conversation. So one of the things I always find interesting is you always read the biographies or read the ones about Steve Jobs or Mark Bezos or whoever, or not, or Bezos, Jeff Bezos, not Mark, um, and, and others. And, you know, you always kind of get the highlight hero, right? You got to hear, hey, I made everything went smoothly and it went great and nothing was wrong and all the decisions I made were perfect. So the question I always find helpful is so, Give it, or maybe to give the audience. So, what are the the high? What's the best decision you made, and what's the the worst decision you made as related to this business? Sure. Yeah. So, I I can pinpoint really quickly what the best decision I made is, and then I'll also talk about some of the highest points of of my roller coaster journey so far. You know, I think entrepreneurship in general can be a roller coaster, and I found that personally, for better or worse, my highs and my lows are related to external validation. Mm. And when I look at that in context of the decisions that I've made, I can easily say that my best decision was in being very careful and selective of who I brought in to lead our development. So mm. I met with probably somewhere between 40 and 50 different individuals that were all well qualified to be able to lead our development. But knowing that it was such a crucial position for what we were doing, I didn't feel good about any of them until finally I got a referral from a friend, uh, our current VP of engineering, whose name is Tim Hecht. And I just found that he's an incredibly capable developer that not only can do some of the coding himself, but can lead a team of developers and has a vision for the product and a passion for personal finance. So I would say, the first really good decision I made was in being careful in selecting Tim. And he is the reason why we are where we are today. Hmm. On, on a related note, high point, you know, in this roller coaster journey, I would say when I, when I got my very first call back from an investor that said, Hey, we, we want to invest here. 
the external validation I need to, you know, to carry me through another day because you, you get beat up from time to time by investors and uh, mm. by other people you meet with and you talk to and customers and the market in general. And that, you know, that was July of 2019 that, that they reached back out to us and that gave me the boost I needed to keep going. Mm. And then on the other side of it, we had, you know, bad decision and, and low points. And I would probably say that I haven't come across the worst decision for the business yet. I'm sure that's probably still in the future. I'll run into that at some point. So I have to mentally brace myself for that. Mm. But in the meantime, I have those lows relatively often. Uh, sometimes I come in, I'm just emotionally exhausted. And it's usually because someone between a customer or a partner or an investor told us that they don't like what we're doing or how we're doing it, or they question us or challenge us in a new way. And you learn to deal with it as an entrepreneur, but that doesn't necessarily make it easy because you take it very personally. And when someone tells me that they don't like the way that we're doing something or that it won't work out or, uh, or that we should give up, then sometimes I feel that because this is my baby that I'm working on and it takes a day or so to reset. So I usually go and I, I take that feedback. One specific one that I remember meeting with a prospective investor I left just feeling, you know, as low as can be. And I went and thought about it more that night and I took all their feedback to recalibrate our vision and, and amplify it in a way that now I'm even more comfortable with the direction that we're going. Hmm. And, and so you, you can use those highs and lows, I think, to your advantage. Yeah. And your, your low kind of reminds me, and I, I think I mentioned it in the, the a previous podcast episode, um, but I'm reading a book. It's, uh, it's by, uh, Mark Randolph, which is a co-founder of uh, Netflix, and uh, it's a book is called This Will Never, or That Will Never Work, or This Will Never Work, I can't remember which way it's phrased, um, but it, it talks about, you know, Mark Randolph, you always hear about Reed Hastings, and he's now the CEO, and, it, you know, kind of the one that is more in the news, but Mark was the one that was originally founded it, came up with the idea, and Reed Hastings at one point had told him that will never work, and hence the genesis of the, the title of the book. But he got to a point about, I think it was 18 months or so into his, uh, into Netflix being started up and going and they're being in a fundraising mode and trying to get the money in. And a lot of their success was work, or playing off of uh, Reed Hastings' name. that He'd previously done an exit. He'd been successfully solved problems that others couldn't and those type of things. And so at one point, uh, you know, it got about 18 months in and uh, Reed Hastings kind of sat down in, uh, in Mark's office. And they had a discussion about basically how he'd made, he, while he'd been good up to this point, he'd made uh, enough mistakes and, and other things that he wasn't the right person to be CEO and that they should then split it and be president and CEO and kind of co-manage and have different responsibilities. And so that one's always, you know, and I, I can only put myself in the, the situation if I was sitting there, I put blood, sweat and tears. And then I have what was just a board member at the time that hadn't put in that amount of time how difficult it would be to get that same feedback of, Hey, you've done a great job to this point, but you're not the guy to do this certain role or, you know, get that pushback and feedback. And he went home and I don't know how long he didn't say, but, you know, talked with his wife and came to conclusion he was right. And that was the best for what the business was. And that was the best move and the decision to go forward. And now you see Netflix to where it is and you get later in the book and he talks about how it was a hard decision and, but it was, it turned out to be the right one. And so a lot of times I, I certainly get, that feedback and getting it, whether it's an investor or a team member or a invest, you know, a CEO or a board member, whoever it is, to get that feedback. And while it can often be the best, you know, prompt the best decisions, it's often the hardest to receive. So completely get that, and it, it, it parallels a lot, I think, with a, a lot of other startups that they they deal with. 
So now kind of with that in mind, maybe we'll switch gears just a little bit. Um, so you've been on a, you've done a, a several startups, you know, been involved and, and founded and whatnot. Um, if you're anything like me, you have, you know, 10 ideas, as I mentioned in the morning and, and 10 in the afternoon and 10 at night. So if you're, if you're to go to a completely new startup or something is that do it and completely different, what has been your latest idea for something that you think is a good business? It's a good, it's a good question. So I, I too keep a journal of business ideas. I have hundreds of them written down mm. in this journal. Some of them I have, you know, just a few words. Some of them I have sentences on or paragraphs or pages on, depending on how much I like that or how complex the business is. And I went through that process for probably seven years from, from 2012 until 2019. And then I got to the point after founding Saveology that I, this, this is what I told myself. I said, you got to be all in on this one, right? Like Saveology is your future. It's your livelihood for the next little bit. You're risking it all. Not only, you know, the proceeds of your last exit, but you know, giving up salaries for a couple of years while you build this company. And so I have tried very hard to not let my mind wander too far. And, and it's not that I don't have new ideas coming in, but I am not currently writing any of those down because I want as much of my creativity process to go into the Saveology product and the Saveology company and what we need to do next as a company. So I can't, I can't tell you any of the recent business <laughs> ideas that I've had, more so that I'm now focusing my creative process on just Saveology because I know it's my next several years. Well, that's, hey, that's an even better answer. So uh, it does require a great degree of focus. And especially, as I said, putting those other ideas aside or, or making that focus is often more difficult than it seems because you always want, always, always a new thing to look at or think of or always something else to, to chase after. To have that focus is probably the difference between staying on a task and making it successful versus having a whole lot of ideas that never get anywhere. I, I do use a certain subset of criteria to determine whether or not my idea is good or feasible. You know, I, I like to think about whether or not it solves a real problem and can make a real difference in the lives of Americans primarily, or maybe even the world. Uh, I ask myself if it's relevant to my experience and plays to my strengths to know whether or not I should be the one to start it. Uh, am I passionate about the idea or the space that, that it plays into? And, you know, what's the potential? Of, is it a big business? Is it, is it a small business? And I, I try to rate each of my ideas along those lines to mm. tell me which one I need to pursue. And the irony of all of that was after my list of hundreds of business ideas, when I went to go back out into the market to start one, I went through that and I didn't find a single one that I wanted to do at that point. So I, I almost started from scratch again. Now, I think that I probably trained my brain to some degree to be able to locate and identify ideas easier. So it wasn't a waste of time. Yeah. But I did find it ironic that I didn't use any of those ideas. I, there was one that was probably tied close to it. I had, I had conceived of at some point a, an idea for a subscription-based phone call service that would help you with your finances, right? Just answer any personal finance questions and maybe do some financial planning with you. That's probably the closest that I get to overlapping an idea with what I'm currently doing. Well, that's interesting. So... All those great ideas that, uh, that you had at one point and you settled on a new one that uh, worked out even better. So you yeah. never know, never know which idea you're going to hit on. It's great to keep it or keep a list or keep them or keep track of them and score them. And then whichever one lands on and makes the most sense, go all in. So kind of getting towards the end of the, the podcast and uh, we'll give you a chance in just a minute to kind of, you know, let people know a little bit more about your business, how to, to get involved and how to, to, to 
get connected with it. Um, just before that, um, maybe the one last bit of advice, if, if you can, to the listening audience, you can give a bit of advice. If you were starting over again or you back in the mode of uh, right from the beginning, doing your startup, what would be your best point of advice for someone that's just looking to get in and, and do a startup or they have an idea and they're wanting to take that next step? You know, I, I consider myself to be one of those people that loves to give advice, sometimes to a fault, right? Just to spitball any tidbit that will help someone with their business. But when I think about the best advice I could give for entrepreneurship, I would probably say that entrepreneurship may not be for everyone, but trying entrepreneurship should be for everyone. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you got to find a chance to participate in the entrepreneurship process or in starting a small business or being involved in business to, to find out if it's really right for you. If, if this is your first time, I applaud people that want to go do it. And I think that you, you just got to be careful not to buy into the hype, you know, experience it once first before you decide if that's what you want to do. So, you know, if you're in college, intern at a startup or start your own t-shirt company or e-commerce company or something with very little downside or risk. And then if you're already at past college, take a first job as a startup, or if you're in built into your career already, go be a manager at, at a smaller company, or, or if you're really far in your career, buy a small business, you know, something just to get your feet wet without putting your livelihood at risk to determine if that's what you want to do. And then after you try it out for a year, you know, keeping a journal along the way of the things that you learn, then at the end, you can decide if it's right for you. And if it is, go all in on it, right? Don't look back. Having an out in entrepreneurship can cost you dearly because it won't motivate you to succeed. So not everyone can handle those ups and downs of business ownership, uh, but those who can, I would say that it can be very worthwhile. Hey, I think that's great advice. And I, I tend to agree that everybody thinks they have a great idea. And a lot of people have great ideas. Some love the startup and, and some hate, you know, some they get into it in a month or two and they're saying, Hey, I thought I was a startup guy or an entrepreneur, you know, or whatever. They get into it and say, Nope, looks like I'm not. But until you try it out and start it, you never know. For me, it was, I've been probably similar to you, but been that way for a long time. My first startup that I um, that still is still actively going was when I started an MBA school. So mine was, I was in an MBA school. Or I was doing my law degree and MBA at the same time. So it was a four-year program instead of three. And I was going through and uh, entered a business competition. And uh, first year I failed. Second year I re-entered re with a few other uh, partners and uh, went a lot better and was a lot more excited about the idea. Bought them out and start, or kept going when I moved back to Utah. I was out in Cleveland at the time and uh, started that up, kept it going, working on the side the full time as an attorney. And that business is still alive and, and growing and doing well today. So it's, you know, you have to start it out and you never know where the journey will take you, but it's always fun and exciting along the way. Mm -hmm. So with that, appreciate the, the time, the advice and the let, letting people see a little bit of your journey. Um, kind of as we wrap up the, the podcast, wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of let people know how to find out more about Saveology or reach out to you or start using your product. But kind of your opportunity to, to pitch or to plug what you're doing and uh, let people know how to get connected up with it. Sure. Um, so at, at Savology, we do online financial planning. It takes five minutes to get started, so it's really easy. And one of the reasons we entered this space was because we wanted it to get available for everyone. It's free, and it takes five minutes. So go to Savology.com. Savology is S-A-V-O-L-O-G-Y, the science of savings. And start building your financial plan. Whether or not you think you're in a position where you need a financial plan, 
it takes five minutes and there's no way to start building your plan now and it can help shape your future, your financial future. It can tell you how much money you should be saving, what insurances you should have, where you might be overcovered or undercovered. It helps you understand your estate planning and your retirement planning. So it's one of the first holistic financial planning bottoms uh, out there rather than just focusing on budgeting or anything else. So go try it out. Five minutes here, I'm definitely Perfect. Perfect. Hope everybody, everybody talks safety and it uh, saves everybody a lot of money and helps them get uh, get well down on the or down the path on the way to, to saving and uh, managing the money and being successful. So, we'll appreciate it. We'll kind of wrap up the uh, this podcast for today. Appreciate you coming back on or coming on as a guest of the show. It's been a pleasure and it's been it's been fun to to hear about your journey. Thanks, Dan. Have a good one. All right. Thanks.